The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, everyone. Chan, good to see you again. Good morning. Good to see you. We're, uh, we're very pleased you're here. To help frame our conversation this morning, let's set our sights on Romans fifteen thirteen. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this isn't the first time Chan and I have done this together. I, I think this is either fourth or fifth by my count that we've been on the stage together. We have. Yeah. And this one's unique because when we've done this before, it's been among believers, but not specifically pouring in what the science means to a, a church family, a, a, a gathering of Christians who are working in tandem collaboratively to reach. So this one may look and feel a little bit different than some of those other times we've had this conversation, but I'm very glad you're here. Thank, Thank you for you. coming. Thank you. So, so for those who didn't get a chance to um, hear you in class and walk through your introduction, why don't you just give us a, a brief bio about where you are in terms of your pursuit of academia and, and your standing professionally? Sure. Uh, so as mentioned, I am a professor at the University of Oklahoma uh, in the School of Social Work. I'm a psychologist by training. Uh, I, I always want to clarify that. I'm a, I'm a quantitative psychologist, which means my work is in statistics, research methods, and the philosophy of science. Uh, I am a full professor. I've been at OU for uh, roughly 20 years, uh, coming into the final chapters of, right. of that time. Yeah. Right. Your work has been extraordinarily covered, but what we don't get a chance to talk a lot about in your work is I'm, I'm always struck by how you got to where you are. I mean, you're an internationally recognized researcher, an expert on the subject of hope, but I know this is vulnerable, but your, your early years were not always that hopeful themselves. <laughs> yeah, so um, um, really starting in, in pretty early childhood, uh, my father, uh, who passed away a few years ago, uh, uh, was a drug dealer. And so my job starting at the age of five was to uh, harvest uh, marijuana and to be part of that production. Um, in particular, um, and just visions are coming back into my mind, so forgive me if I sometimes smile and, and sometimes tear up just a little bit. Um, yeah, part of my job was to also um, distribute uh, the, the, those drugs because the basic idea was that there's less likely going to be violence um, if a you know, small child is the one delivering. Uh, and I just will, will tell you that that's not always true. Um, and so uh, fast forward a little bit, uh, a lot of stuff happened between, between there. Um, but uh, around eighth grade, I made the decision to transition into homelessness, yeah and did that throughout, uh, was homeless throughout high school. So, um, you know, and that led to um, uh, a lot of really poor decisions uh, along the way. Um, um, but fortunately for people around me and, and certainly my lovely wife of, uh, of 36 years, um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm still alive today. Um, and so my, my wife and I will, I think we have the same anniversary, if That's I correct. remember right. Um, but we got married at the age, she was 16 and I was 18. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, was part of part of that journey. Now, I, I don't want to pin you down. There were some academic tr- struggles early in your <laughs> collegiate career, right? I mean, it, you weren't a straight-A student. Uh, no. Um, there, let me just go ahead and say there are still academic troubles <laughs> in my life as a, as a professor. Um, and so uh, I, uh, as upon graduation, I had very limited options, and, and the only option I could see would be to to transition into college. And by the way, I had no idea that you had to pay for it. Mm -hmm. I had no idea there was financial aid. I just thought that you go to the cafeteria and get food. And that that was the way that that worked. Um, My first semester grade point average is Mm. 0.56. So I failed every class but advanced swimming and life-saving which I'm very proud of. That's a strength-based approach, right? Yes, yes. Uh, Now, uh, in the university's defense, that was a Tuesday, Thursday afternoon class, and I was awake. Uh, (laughs) uh, But I do like to swim, yeah. Well, obviously, you've you've done a lot of research. As I mentioned, um, Dr. Hellman is internationally acclaimed, gets to travel internationally, um, contracted with the U.S. government to do some specific work. But along this path, and and because we are in a community of faith, something really happened in your own faith journey as you began to dive into the research and spend more and more time researching this academically, right? Are are you comfortable talking about that a little bit? Of course, yeah, I I am. I I will tell you that um, uh, an early experience, uh, as I was transitioning again into homelessness, you know, some of those times were really spending uh, sleeping on couches of friends and, uh, you know, trying to stay the night at at different places. And so um, uh, in eighth grade, uh, a group of friends uh, and parents invited me to uh, Falls Creek. Mm -hmm. And uh, and during that week-long experience, um, I gave my life to Christ um, uh, and uh, was was a perfect uh, and, and wonderful time and, and opportunity. But I will tell you that as, uh, you know, s- those things progressed throughout high school, slowly kind of moved away, certainly in the uh, college years, uh, just really started to, to leave Christ, was making decisions that uh, were not in, in my best, uh, best interest. Um, I'll go ahead and, and, and celebrate that I just... Uh, uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, celebrated seven years of uh, recovery. So I'm very congratulations. Uh, pleased That's awesome. With that. Thank you. Um, and then uh, I will tell you that as I was going through uh, my PhD program, again in statistics, I just was really wrestling with faith. Mm-hmm. And you know, in that framework, there's always a right answer. Everything is about control controlled environments and experiments. And my major professor, and I just I, uh, have to give uh, Dale Fuquay just so much credit. My major professor, I, I was taking a philosophy of science class with him, and uh, I went into his office and sat down across from him, and I said, you know, professor, I just, uh, you know, in this long journey, I said, I'm just not sure how people can can believe and have faith. I mean, I was really questioning that. And uh, he, he got up, uh, walked around me, shut the door, came back, and um, saved my life. Um, and uh, began to share his 
uh, belief in Christ and his work and how those two are very complementary and uh, brought me back to the journey. And I've been back in church ever, ever since that time. Yeah. I appreciate you being candid about that because yeah. um, as a body of believers, um, one thing I love about worshiping um, at this body, and Lisa and I have been here for two decades um, now, is this church body is uniquely called, I believe, and, and uniquely gifted in the ability to reach out to those who are going through that navigation, um, that, that really uh, difficult period of time of questioning, different relationship issues might put questions, all of that. And that's one thing I love about here. And I, and I think I've shared with you that we, we are in the season of go, that yes. we work in the, in the gather, grow, and go function. And we, we are now at this period of time where we're going to focus for the 12 months on what it means to to evangelize, to, to, to do our ministry work. You know, your work over the last three plus years, I guess, has, has really exploded. Um, my first exposure was at Palomar here in Oklahoma City, and now you're doing work at the state level, you're doing work nationally. What, what are you seeing in our communities um, where you and your team are doing work as far as a, a hopeful mindset as it relates to the way we're engaging people. And, and what does that mean at the person level, not sure. the, the structural level? What does that mean for um, victims of domestic violence? What does that mean for children who are in the foster system? What, what are you seeing in that regard? Sure. So, um, you know, obviously a, a real, uh, especially in context of domestic violence that has taken place over, you know, extended period of time and sort of uh, in that context, a systematic um, sort of power and control framework where mm -hmm. the survivor has um, little to no access to pathways. And, right. and so, you might explain what pathways sure. are, because some of this audience wasn't yeah. in your Bible class this morning, so a little bit of a, a science tangent there to, sure. to kind of talk through what your research is. So hope is the, the future expectation that it will get better mm -hmm. and uh, that we have... Uh, the potential to have power to, to make it so, or we have a role to play in, in that future. And so hope is based upon three really simple ideas of the goals that we set, uh, the ability to find uh, pathways, roadmaps, strategies by which to pursue those goals, and then really uh, the mental energy and motivation to engage in those pathways. And so what we are seeing is, by the way, I do want to highlight that for all of the work that we do, um, um, at the individual level, at the organization level, and the system uh, level, uh, hope is not the outcome. Hope is the process uh, that leads to our capacity to thrive, our capacity to live life well. It is our hope that leads to well-being. Okay. And so for us, that, that is the ultimate uh, outcome. But what we're seeing um, is, uh, uh, as for instance, with Palomar, uh, that these uh, community agencies are providing and opening those pathways so that uh, families and children can take those first few steps uh, to that well-being. Um, we find in, in, uh, in all of our research, over 200 plus studies in that context, uh, that an individual's capacity to restore hope um, is one of the strongest predictors of uh, all sorts of outcomes uh, for mm -hmm. children and families. 
So one of the questions, I'll never forget, the first time you and I did this together, we had a very astute question from the audience, and I'm kind of throwing this at you. It, it, it spurs this question. As Christians, as believers, we see our hope in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and, and we commit ourselves to that hope and what that hope means. And we, we received a question from somebody who, you know, a very pointed question about, you're saying that hope is something that is self-motivated, that, that it's this factor. How does that, how does that jive with this hope that we find in Christ? And it was a, it was a really astute question when we fielded it, and yeah. you and I kind of worked our way through it. Sure. But I think we now know that, that Christ is one of those pathways that helps us build that hope, right? Ab- absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and one of the things that I'm really sort of intrigued about, you know, your, your framework of go over these next uh, 12 months is that um, hope really isn't something that happens individually in isolation with mm. us. It happens in relationships. Um, and it happens in our ability to be connected to others and our ability to be connected to something greater uh, than, than ourselves. And so, um, y- you know, for, well, um, I was going to just say that, uh, it, you know, thinking about faith and, and hope in that context, um, we have to start to recognize or think about how we model hope for others. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as we find our source uh, in the resurrection and the promise of, of Christ, um, we have to model that. We have to, we have to act uh, uh, upon that. And one of the greatest uh, pieces of that is, is being able to show the journey, being able to show the pathway, because it's not for, for us, you know, not every day is a hopeful day. Uh, some days are better than others, for instance. And, and so I think it's really important for us to be authentic uh, in navigating what hope looks like in really hard times. I, I appreciate you walking through that because that, that is an important question. And as we talk about how to use this science that you and your colleagues are spending so much time researching, it, it does, there is a wrestling match, if you will, about some of our faith customs and, and faith traditions and things like that. So I appreciate you um, walking into that. You know, what, what occurs to me is as we think about how as a state we, we may be serving people from a hopeful mindset as opposed to the other pathways, as you think about how communities of faith could be more engaged and effective in helping people who are developing their hope, their agency, their willpower, as, as we think about that, what, what thoughts do you have about how community of faith can step in and help yeah. walk people through this process? Because you're having to learn this. The, the people who are really challenged in our communities are having to learn this. H- how can we be better partners in helping them? Absolutely. Well, first, first of all, I think, uh, you know, and I was listening to the worship team and, and sort of reading the, uh, you know, the worship uh, uh, language and just hearing that, you know, I think one of the greatest uh, lessons that we can learn from from you um, is um, really sort of a constant sharing of that message that uh, regardless of our past, regardless of our history, the, the shame that we might have, the, the regret that we might have, the bitterness, for instance, in my own life for the, the adversities that I, that I experienced, is it, it, those are all such tremendous barriers 
to my belief that the future is better. But more importantly, they are such barriers to my belief that I'm worthy of that future, mm-hmm. right? That I deserve that future. And I just love the, the framework of the worship team and the message that's shared there is because it reminds us that we're children of God. And regardless of that, we are worthy of the future that is promised to us. And so one of the biggest takeaways that I've had from the faith community is that the core message at the end of the day is helping people know they matter. Yeah. And we have so much to learn from you on, on that. And so my dream, my vision with all of this hope work is that we're able to get this language into schools, where, where, which is what we're doing with the state agencies and the courts and, and others, because I think this is where the faith community has a seat at the table, a tremendous community resource. And if we start to have this shared language around hope, uh, then I think it is that avenue that allows us to, to begin to engage in schools, uh, to, to have that presence of just loving on people mm-hmm. who are suffering. So these are, in many cases, people are suffering. You know, Chan mentioned he's working to do this with state agencies and federal agencies. When you think about the number of Oklahomans that might engage in governmental services at any different level, I mean, you're probably looking at that touching at least 50% of Oklahomans, an extraordinary amount of people who will interact. One of the things that I would be really interested in your observation is, is when we come across somebody who's low hope, who who can't find their agency, who can't, just can't muster the willpower, any thoughts or suggestions you have on what type of language we should use in engaging with them to try to get them to take those first steps or what that might look like? Yeah, so... um you know, hope is a social gift, as I, I think I've mentioned, but hope is, hope is a gift that we share with, with each other. And so, you know, part of that is just being an authentic neighbor, an authentic uh, person who, who is there. And uh, in that low hope scenario, what we typically see is a real resistance um, uh, to engaging in that. And so, you know, I think starting exactly where somebody is, Mm-hmm. Um, and the difficulty of the, the situation, and just walking with them on that first uh, journey. So it starts around just what, what are the immediate short-term goals? What right. are the, the things that need to be, uh, that, that are perhaps absent? And then how can the community, how can the faith community, the church, the, the members help find those pathways to achieve those? I mean whether it's access to basic needs or uh, social services, et cetera. And so uh, I'm not sure I'm answering your question fully. Well, I, I think one thing that I, I just want to make sure that, that the spirit of this example I'm giving is, isn't a good example of how we know that it's responsive to people's needs. Um, this, this church community has a tremendous history in our benevolence ministry which is people who are struggling to keep the electricity on and, and things like that, is, is what you're suggesting that being able to meet some of those immediate pressing needs as the first engagement and then helping them develop is the response that we need to be more mindful of across the community, not just in benevolence, right? That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly right. And, um, 
you know, it, it, it's that first uh, step, you know, it's that first uh, helping to find access to resources for those utilities. Um, but we don't stop there. Mm. We, we don't stop there. That, that the road to hope is a journey. And we know that hope begets hope. Mm. And what I mean in particular is as I start to have some successes and find those pathways, then we can begin to look towards the next part of that goal. And so maybe basic needs start to be addressed, then we can begin to lean into the importance of uh, connectedness, these social important relationships uh, that exist once somebody walks through the front door, but we've got to get them through the front door. So this will be, uh, this will be the closing question. That, and you have a little bit of latitude in how you want to walk through this. Uh, your parting observation this is your this is your sermon close, Chan. And by the way, Chan, you got a guy with an ag econ degree, and you got a researcher up here on a Sunday morning pulpit, right? So both you and I felt a little bit odd about this. But here's your sermon. Okay. Give us your thirty second, one minute elevator speech on why followers of Christ should lean into people who are very ho- very low on the hope scale. With that out that look for what tomorrow's going to look like. Sure. I, I, it is the essence of the grace model of Jesus. Um, it, is, it is our role. It is what he did. It is the parables of, of all of those stories. Hope, um, my faith, our faith is the, the moral compass. It is the, the framework that helps us choose which goals we value and which pathways are righteous. Um, and it can put us on that road uh, to health, happiness, well-being, and a life ever after. Jan, it's been delightful having you today. Um, you. I, I have enjoyed our friendship. Um, it, it's great to hear, hear you discuss that, and it's great that the work that you're doing to lift Oklahomans and lift Americans and lift us globally. And, and I want to tell you how much it means to me that through this process, for you to feel comfortable talking about what that's meant for your own faith and conviction. That, that's an important message for all of us. Um, to wrap up, this conversation of hope is extremely important, I believe, for our body. Um, it is the opportunity for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to reach those who are hurting in our community. His book, Hope Rising, widely available. If you're interested in learning more about his research, I don't want to say it's an easy read, but it's a read you can't put down once you dive into it. And so, Chan, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate you sharing your perspectives and your own personal history. And with that, would you please stand and sing?